This is Transforming Culture, an MBC podcast. Welcome, everyone, to our last episode of this season of Transforming Culture. It's been a whirlwind eight weeks, and we appreciate all the messages and the support and the listens. Please do continue to share with your friends and family. We love that people are sharing their favorite podcast episode with others. This week, we have Lawson Murray talking to us about parenting the next generation. Lawson has been in the trenches for a long time, not only as a ministry leader, but as a parent. So he's got lots of good nuggets of wisdom to share with us all. Lawson is married to his best friend, Karen. They love spending time together with their children and grandchildren, 11 so far. Lawson is deeply committed to connecting children, youth, and families with Jesus and his word. He is a writer, author, researcher, ministry innovator, conference speaker, adjunct seminary professor, international trainer, Bible engagement specialist, children and sports ministry specialist, and president of Scripture Union Canada. All right. Let's listen into what Dr. Lawson Murray has to say about parenting the next generation. The scriptures say, by wisdom, a house is built and by understanding, it is established. I like that little word wisdom because I think it's a good one to introduce us to tonight's topic. It's a good one in as much as Uh, On some level, every one of us sitting here who is a parent or has been a parent, I don't think you ever stop being a parent, but we, we parented the way we did because we thought that was the wise way to parent. And so while the text in Proverbs there is speaking about the wisdom that comes from God, I want to recognize that even as we come into this subject, we're all sitting here with a level of, I have some wisdom in this. I, I did what I did or I do what I do because I think I know what this is about. So let's jump in. I'm going to do sort of break this into three pieces and then we'll go to the Q&A time. The first piece, I'm just going to give you some generalizations. Hear me on that about baby boomer parenting generally, and then about millennial parenting. So they'll be just a general for culture at large. I'm then going to narrow that down and look at how baby boomer Christian parents had certain values and look at how millennial Christian parents had certain values. So as we look at this, the first thing I want to recognize from my generation there's the years uh, of baby boomers, 46 to 64. Mothers were more likely to be homemakers and fathers were the breadwinners. We were more authoritarian and focused on obedience 
and discipline. I was not shy about, especially with Matthew, because he seemed to need a firmer hand than the other two of saying, you will do that because I say so. It wasn't debate in any of this. So there was an expectation with our generation to follow rules without questioning. Spanking was commonly accepted as a form of discipline. And there was less direct involvement in our children's education. Our communication was limited to face-to-face -face interactions and handwritten letters. Communications are very different today. We'll look at that in just a moment. Our work often took precedence over family life, and we had more rudimentary safety standards and practices. I remember one little story uh, as I'm mentioning this last one. I had a Ford Aerostar. Uh, everyone needs a van when you've got family. And I packed several kids into the back, and my daughter was so upset over that. We got back, and that evening she, she got a hold of me. And she said, Dad, I need to speak to you about something seriously. I said, what's up, Christy? She says, you were breaking the law. We were not all in safety belts. And she was really upset about that. And I, and I realized, you know, I had grown up in Africa, which had not even the safety standards remotely like North America. And... I was rather blasé about that kind of stuff. Uh, but now that's, you know, we don't even think about that. There's an expectation with safety there. Let's look at millennial parents, 1981 to 96. Both mothers and fathers are more likely to be homemakers and breadwinners. Josiah, my son-in-law, uh, has a construction company uh, and... And yet he, he does things that I would never have thought of doing. He said to me the other day, he said, Dad, you know, I love getting up early in the morning and I have my, my time with the Lord there in, in the Word of God and praying. He says, but you know what I do at the same time? I said, what do you do? He says, I do all the laundry. I said, what? See, for me, that's a pink job. <laughs> but that's one of the differences right there. Uh, millennial parents, more child-centered with prominence given to open communication and emotional psychological well-being. Rules are explained and discussed. Spanking is not accepted as a form of discipline. More direct involvement and control in their children's education. My wife is a teacher, and, and I'm just fascinated hearing the stories of how parents engage with teachers today. I started out as a teacher. I don't think I ever had a discussion with any parent in my years of teaching about anything, and, and they certainly had no say in what happened in the schooling system, certainly where I was teaching. Uh, smartphones, the internet, and social media platforms are integral means of communication. There is an emphasis on achieving a work-life balance. I work with a number of younger staff, and I'm interested in how there, from time to time, are these discussions about work-life balance. 
and they're just checking in with me and they want to see how they can figure out some of these pieces and need a dialogue about uh, aspirations or plans they may have for their family and how would that work with work and so on. Uh, in my day, you just worked. Uh, <laughs> and then more informed about child safety, health, and nutrition. Just before we jump to the Christian parenting side of this, I want to note, even as I've made those generalizations, that there is huge diversity in every generation. Uh, so, so just please appreciate, those are generalizations. You may be sitting here as a baby boomer or a millennial and saying, uh, no, that's not really where our parenting is at. So, because there's different individual parenting styles, and that's all influenced by our beliefs and our values and our circumstances, the country we live in, and so on. So, just to put them side by side now with some Christian parenting uh, observations. Certainly with boomers, we expected adherence to traditional Christian teaching. Now, for me, who grew up in a non-Christian home, um, some of this was new for me, but as I parented my own children, uh, fairly traditional in how I taught them. Millennials encourage exploration of faith and spirituality. That came out quite significantly in the study that NBC sponsored, the Parenting Faith Study, uh, this first point under millennials there. That was there was a lot that came out in that study, if you want to read it. Uh, questions and discussions about faith were limited with boomers, whereas with millennials, they were willing to discuss different interpretations and views. Boomers use mainly printed materials as resources with some audiovisual resources. Whereas millennials are using apps and podcasts and social media and videos and, oh, how do I do this? I just Google it. Uh, I didn't have that advantage as a parent. Boomers are focused more on individual salvation, morality, and personal faith. Those were big sort of pieces that you had in mind with uh, discipleship. Whereas with millennials, there's a strong emphasis on social justice and community service and addressing societal uh, issues. So Matthew, my, my oldest son, it's really important for them, they live uh, down in Oshawa, that they support uh, the, the food bank there. And it's called The Refuge, isn't it? Uh, and every year they have themselves and their children out uh, walking on the coldest night of the year to raise funds. It's very typical of, of millennials. So, you know, that tends to be where the focus goes with Christian parenting. Moving on, boomers were more inclined to stick with traditional religious methods of parenting whereas millennials are more open to incorporating popular parenting philosophies and techniques. I'm going to come back to that point in a while and be a little controversial about that one. 
under Boomer's more conservative views on issues related to gender roles, LGBTQ plus rights, and other social issues. I'm fascinated as, as I speak to my generation, some of the comments that I hear about millennials on this one, because it's such a hot button topic in our society. Uh, I have to say, though, personally, I'm more inclined to the millennial side of this, even though I'm a boomer, because I really believe that, that the, the ethic of Christian love should be more inclusive. And I'm not using that word inclusive in the politicized use of that word. I'm using it as an English word that means you include people. So more inclusive and accepting of people from different backgrounds, beliefs, and family structures. Back to the boomer side, placed a strong emphasis on religious education and church-based activities. Whereas millennials encourage critical thinking and a holistic understanding of the world. Boomers taught their children how to behave as Christians, if I can put that in parentheses, I should have put that in parentheses, and to have a daily quiet time. That language, quiet time, isn't used much with millennials anymore because they're more focused on helping their children discuss their thoughts and feelings and questions about faith. That's my summaries for what it's worth. It's a huge subject, and some of you are sitting here thinking, okay, and, but I might have said other things. Well, we'll bring that out in the discussion time. I want to go to a third level here because I've got sort of 20 minutes on this. So I've got to move along quickly. And I want to say, is there a way in which we can move beyond saying, okay, there's that understanding from that generation, there's this understanding from this generation, and for Christian parents in both generations who earnestly are trying to say, what does the word of God say, rather than trying to proof text God's word, can we find some principles that apply to us both in the here and now, but in the future that transcend time and culture? I'm not sure that's entirely possible, but I've tried to think through by asking this question, what would it look like to raise children God's way, and I'm not saying I'm speaking for God per se here, and I'm not actually going to have any scripture text for you. I'm just trying to draw on principles of parenting that I see in the scriptures generally. So here's some comments, uh, and then we'll go to the Q&A. So I want to recognize that many Christian parents, past and present, while they may have had the best of intentions, may not have parented or aren't parenting God's way. If I was to be really critical, we could spend actually a long time unpacking what was unbiblical about boomer parenting and what may be unbiblical about Christian millennial parenting. And we could get into a good old debate on all of that. Don't want to do that, though. So my question is, and I think every Christian parent should be asking this in every generation, is how do we raise children in God's way? Not how is culture doing it, uh, not how has the church maybe taught it, even though it's hugely important that we draw on the wisdom of the church fathers and the cumulative teaching of truth within the church, but sometimes I think we get a little off track as the church. 
But can we press through maybe to that question, how do we raise children in God's way? Well, I want to start by saying this, that we should recognize that in our parenting, we are all naturally inclined. What I mean by that is that raising children God's way doesn't come naturally to us. It's an unnatural thing. Our normal tendency is to do what's obvious and feels right to us. It's more a gut thing. Uh, and, and as we all know, none of us sort of get trained to be parents. We sort of fall into it and, and stumble along with it and try and figure it out as we're going. And in a world dominated by the explainable and the obvious, most parents typically rely really, and I'm talking about us as Christians as well, on common sense. And practical strategies. Oh, it worked for my sister and her kids. I should try that out. So that's the first comment. And if you look at the little box up in the right-hand corner there, the little speech box, because of that, we usually ignore God because if we're truthful, it's easier to parent without him. To put it slightly differently, we predispose to look at the world around us and to take our parenting cues from what others are doing. And yes, if we're honest, and I'm looking at myself here first, pointing the finger at myself as I look back on my parenting, we know that common sense parenting is inadequate. I would be doing things, but deep down I was thinking, oh, I'm not sure this is really what it should be. Second thing I want to suggest is that we should be shifting to God's plan. And to make a contrast, while we're inclined naturally or in the flesh to do things in a certain way, God's plan for parents is super natural, not natural. And this is where I thought I'd be a little controversial and press back into that one point that I'm seeing marks a good number of millennials today in their parenting. They're taking a number of methods from different worldviews and they're cobbling those together to inform the parenting. I think we probably did something like that as, as boomer parents as well. So I don't think it's restricted to a generation. But I do want to say this, your parenting must be fully informed and directed not by us as parents, but by God's Word and the Holy Spirit. And, and that for me is a foundational principle that I think we've got to get our heads and hearts around. Little box up there to cultivate the image of Jesus in your children. We must help them live according to a biblical worldview. So a little question for you, even as you sit here and listen, uh, what's your parenting approach like? Is it a mix of different strategies or have you picked up on one and how's it working for you? Because to get back to the little controversy I'm raising here, I wonder about Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. My observation, and it may or may not be accurate because it's an observation, 
is that there's a fair amount of syncretism in our parenting. Syncretism is where we take other things from outside of the Christian faith and sort of put it all into what we're doing. That concerns me deeply. The third, I think it's the third point, is this, that we need to be supernaturally persuaded. Our personal interests, our preferences, our perceptions should never direct Christian parenting. Going, what? Read the rest of what I've got up there. To be a Christian parent is to be God's agent. To draw on his power and his wisdom to fulfill his plans for his children in his way. This is one I could get very passionate about and really get preaching on. Because here's the reality. They're not our children. They are, but they're not. They're his children. And we are stewards and if we're going to get our head around what it really means to parent children, we've got to understand this point. We are under parents, if you like, answerable to him, there to do what he wants done with our children. And hey, again, finger pointed right back at myself, because as I'm saying, these points seem to go over uh, cultures and time frames. There were many times where the agenda was Lawson's agenda with these children, not God's agenda. As I look back, I go, oh, really messed up there. Look at the times when I was disciplining in anger and not with grace. Oh. Christian parenting is orientating everything to God's purpose. I mentioned Paul Tripp in, in an earlier message. I really like what he writes. He says, parenting is not first about what we want for our children or from our children, but about what God in grace has planned to do through us in our children. I like to speak about the fact that we as parents are conduits for the work of the Spirit in the home. You understand the, the word conduit, something that something flows through. I need to be a channel of God's purpose with my family. But back to grappling with reality. Despite Christ and his word directing us, we don't always value what we should. We know Romans 7, 19, well, don't we? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. The whole parenting enterprise is this struggle, this push-pull that we're involved in. And as I say that, as I recognize that there's this catch-22 and that good parenting intentions aren't good enough, that's helpful for me realizing I've got to get to another place. Because, as I said in the top corner there, because of our shortcomings, we still come up short. Even when our parenting is supernaturally persuaded, we're still naturally inclined. 
the scriptures speak about this in many places, not necessarily specifically about parenting, but it applies. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So, with that said, let me get to saying this. What's hugely important in parenting is that we tap into God's grace. And the first thing I've got to think about as I'm thinking about tapping into God's grace is, am I willing to relinquish my way of parenting? I'm a type A personality. I want to control what's going on. I'm more comfortable when I'm in control. Lord, forgive me. But that's how I'm wired. A number of us are wired that way. So this first part here, relinquishing our way of parenting, there's lots of challenges. There's challenges in our personality, challenges in, in how we deal with parenting emotionally, challenges with how we have a sense of control when we all are often feeling on the verge of losing control. You know those times with children. But I think we need to think about how do we let go of our plans to lay hold of God's plan? And while it's counterintuitive, when we willingly acknowledge our incapacity and insufficiency, that's when we're in the place where God starts to give us the help that we really need. See, he wants us to be honest with him. It's funny, even though it's often one-on-one parent, God, we still aren't where we need to be in our relationship with him. So to tap into God's grace, we must humbly admit we can't parent without him. Another question for you, do you want your children to survive or thrive? If you want them to thrive, you've got to invite God to work in and through you. But even as you invite him to do that, you've got to submit yourself to him for that. To parent well, Jesus must become greater and we must become less, if I can take that verse from John 3 and apply it to parenting. What our children need isn't more of us. Think through the implications of this one as well, because we tend to think, I need to be doing more. And and some some of us sitting here tonight, uh, we're our own worst enemies. We drive ourselves and we carry guilt. But our children don't need more of us. What they need is more of him. And what we need as parents isn't more self-sufficiency, It's more grace. And hear that. Some of you need to hear that just to be blessed and to find a release in the Lord in your parenting this evening. So making it practical, I'm on my last point and we're done. God hasn't given us the responsibility of parenting because we're up to the task. We're not. None of us are. None of us are competent enough to do what God wants of us. God designed us to rely on him. So as we parent our children, we must ask the father, that's why he's father, capital F, to parent us. I want to sort of pause on that because I think some of us need to hear the fact that maybe part of the problem in our home is that we're not letting Abba, Daddy, 
be daddy to us. Christian parenting happens while we're being sanctified. It's in the process of us becoming more like Jesus that this parenting is happening. That's an important consideration within all of this. While we nurture our children's faith, God is nurturing our faith. While we're confessing our sins and receiving his forgiveness and crying out for his help, God is enabling us to invite our children to acknowledge their sins and believe in Jesus and commit their lives to him. So parenting happens in the process of faith development, not just for our children, but for us as well. Final thought, hopefully a word of encouragement for, for parents. Jesus' grace is more than enough for your family's needs. So parent your children as sinners who need his grace and thank Jesus for being in you and with you. For in so doing, Jesus will do through you what you can't do without him. There was a lot of good stuff in there and I'm so grateful for Lawson. He is one of the most positive and encouraging people that I know and he's an incredible listener. That comes through well during our short Q&A session recorded this past summer at NBC during week eight of our summer season. Let's head to that Q&A session now with Dr. Lawson Murray. Lawson, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast today. We are so excited to have you here. And uh, we're recording this in the summer, of course, and mm -hmm. our audience won't be hearing this until November. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we're not excited for what they're going to hear. Your session this week about Parenting the Next Generation was really informative. I know there was lots of people with questions after. Mm -hmm. It's something that we're all passionate about, right? I mean, mm -hmm. a place like NBC is designed for families to come and get more information about how to be better Christian parents. Mm -hmm. And so... Really, if there's any kind of topic that's going to get attention, it's going to be this one. Um, but just first off, thank you for that. I know mm -hmm. that, um, you know, you wouldn't claim to be an expert in any particular field, just a servant of the Most High God. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and yet at the same time, you brought so much wisdom and we really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I don't know if you've got any thoughts off the top, but um, there's a few questions I want to ask you and just kind of dive into. Uh, I'm great hearing your first question. So <laughs> let's jump okay, in on we'll that. We'll dive right in. Amazing. <laughs> One of the things you said during your talk is you said to be a Christian parent is to be God's agent. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there listening and it, it got my attention right away because it's true, right? I mean, absolutely, you're right. Um, but you you went on and talked a little bit about, you know, what it's like to be an agent or God's mm -hmm. agent to give everything, you know, over and I, I just started wondering and, and was hoping you could expand on this. Is it possible to do that fully? Or maybe another way to phrase that, you know, are there areas in life where we don't need to worry about that? You know, I think the example I jokingly gave you, does it really matter what sports my kids play? Does God really right, care right. if my daughter plays baseball or hockey? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, either one could be a great sport or a terrible sport and all of right. this. Um, and maybe the question underneath the question there is how much should I be worrying about as a parent about doing the right thing? Wow. So I think the, the podcast is going to be all on just this one. Yeah, <laughs> oh, great question. I would, let me just start by saying I would, I would probably use other words as well. So not yeah. just agent. Mm -hmm. uh, I, to elaborate on that thought, 
we are under parents, if you like. We've often spoken about pastors being under shepherds, right? But I think we need to start thinking of ourselves as parents, as under parents. Yes, I thought exactly that while you were speaking. Uh, Right, right. But that's helpful for us, isn't it? Because we then get a sense of, okay, he is the parent, capital P. I am the one who looks to him, or to use the Old Testament sort of language, uh, he's the chief shepherd or the chief steward, Mm. and I'm one of the servants that serves the chief shepherd or chief uh, uh, in in that way. So, So I think that's part of it, and I want to recognize that dynamic, and we don't always recognize that dynamic. Uh, in terms of what does that mean? How far does that go? Does it mean we we are uh, itemizing and figuring out exactly every aspect of our child's life? Uh, well, it's a yes and no sort of answer, isn't it's it? True. Because we we all know parenting isn't a nine to five job. Mm. It's it's a twenty four seven job, so yes, we we're on deck all the time. Uh, we know that. Uh, well, let me say it this way: there's that lovely uh, saying that has been bandied around a lot, but I think it's very true for parenting. And in terms of your question, if he's not lord of all, he's not lord at all. Mm. Uh, and and so everything matters to him. But I want to say that cautiously because as I recognize every aspect of our parenting matters to God, and I want to say it in a way in which I, I stress out now and I'm overthinking all mm-hmm. of this because while every aspect of parenting matters, we don't parent alone. He's the one who's parenting in and through us. He's the one who's leading and guiding us. He's the one who's extending grace. He's the one who's showing us what his plan and purpose is and so on. Um, so it's not as if I'm now suddenly, okay, I need to take uh, uh, three courses at Tyndale <laughs> on right. how to parent or whatever the case yeah. might be. I don't think it's like that. I do think, though, that part of this under-shepherd role, if I can sort of shift the thinking a little bit here, uh, the key, one of the key practical skills in fact, my colleague Amy Shoker uh, did a wonderful teaching uh, seminar on this, is looking out for teachable moments. So part of our job as we journey with our children, because parenting is a process, it's a journey, is, is, is looking out for those moments where, ah, this is where I make reference to uh, a story in the Bible. This is where I speak about the character of God. And mm. uh, so, in fact, in, in, in the video that she taught on this, she spoke about how they, she was in the park with her child and, and they were watching the sparrows feeding. And she just took that very simple observation with her three-year-old child and said, and God watches over us even like we watch this, the sparrow and God feeds us like he feeds the sparrows and just linked it very naturally into a teachable moment. So I think that's a part of, of the parenting thing as well. Does that mean that we get to pick our children's sports? No, I think the scriptures indicate that we've got to 
join God in identifying who they are and what their inclinations are and and help incline them in the way that he's made them. Uh, but it does mean that we will interact at the point at which they're involved in that. Yeah. Even as you were speaking now, I was just thinking about that, that maybe, you know, maybe the sport doesn't matter as much, but how we engage with the sport. Correct. And what we do with that sport, yeah. you know, so does God care about baseball or hockey? I mean, I'm a Blue Jays fan. I can always hope that God right, picks right, the Blue Jays right, once in a while right. to win the World Series. But, um, you know, how we engage our child in that sport and even things like Sunday morning practices or games, right? I mean, that's the kind of thing where using a sport, I can say, do you know what? We, we choose church over this sporting activity. We choose assembling with the community of God where he's right. placed us. You know, that's an example. It doesn't matter if it was a hockey practice or a baseball practice. Yeah, and I love the example you've taken there because when you make that choice, you're teaching a value. And you're saying, yeah, we need recreation, we need play, sport is okay, but Christ is more important than the worship of him is. And, and the example you've taken actually is a very good one because we see a number of Christian families yeah. where they're taking their children to hockey practice on a Sunday. Yeah. And, and what are we teaching them long-term, right? Well, I, until very recently, I was on a um, the board of a local sports association. Okay. And part of that was that I got to have input into when our practices and games were. And so people said, oh, we don't really practice Sunday morning. No, conveniently, we don't. You know, like, <laughs> I love that. How did that happen? I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah so it's interesting. I'm going to go to another question here. And, and the idea of an underparent is a timely one for this question because uh, someone on Monday night when we were talking about all this commented, you know, we, we see more and more that the government is acting as a parent mm. in our children's lives as well. And so this is, I mean, these are two very big questions, right? We've got God over here, the true parent, the true leader who we're supposed to be under parenting too, but the government more and more is trying to take control. Um, and there are, there are some reasons I can understand, even if I don't appreciate all of it and don't like all of it. Um, you know, our, our kids, our podcast listeners will have heard before our kids are educated in the public system. And mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. um, we have kids in my kids' classes in their school who are really not being parented at all, right? They come to school. They're not necessarily showered mm -hmm, or fed mm -hmm. meals are not adequate, all of these things. And so the state, the government, the school, whoever has had to step mm -hmm. in to support these children and rightly so, because who else is going to, right. um, you know, if they show up to school and they've not been fed, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. But then it seems to go a little bit further than that sometimes. And my wife and I were talking with some friends recently about how even in school now, they're not just teaching arithmetic and reading and writing, but they're teaching character. The three R's as they used right, to be exactly. called. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But they're teaching values and character now, mm -hmm. right? So there might be a character trait of the month, like mm -hmm. bravery or gentleness or all these things. Mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of it can sound like the fruit of the spirit or whatever, but when it's the government and, and secular society and secular culture imposing this, Mm -hmm. It's a very different thing than the Bible or Christian parents teaching it. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts about this idea of like the state or the government is kind of like a co-parent? What do we do with that? You, you've you've uh, presented the government in a very nice light there Done in, my terms, best. <laughs> Done my in terms best. of how you've spoken about it. Fascinatingly and historically, this is not a new issue. Mm. I learned many years ago that th this actually goes way back to the Greek philosopher Plato. We're talking 400 years before Christ. 
And he, in his philosophy, um, he came up with the idea that that the family can distract rulers. So this is part of his thinking. And that as a result of that, so this is how his philosophy developed, uh, we should abolish the family. Mm. And he proposed in his writings that the children should therefore be the property of the state after they are born. And they should be sent to a group nursery where they are all nurtured and that all the parents together regard all children as their own. Mm. So, and, then, and, and that philosophical type of thinking has pervaded all manner of cultures in various ways down through the millennia. And, and that's why we have segments of our society who are very inclined to saying the state has a very important role. So we've got social services who, who have certain powers now can step in and take children away from their parents and legally have the power to do that. Uh, so it's a, it's, a big, it's a big subject in of, of itself. In fact, am I right in remembering that, that you are involved yeah, so in our, ad, ad, our son? Our yeah. son is adopted, um, and we love, him, we love him very much. Right, it goes without right, saying. right. Uh, but you're right. Like, we had to think very carefully about um, you know, we knew we wanted to adopt right. at some point. We weren't sure exactly God's timing for that. We have a daughter who's biologically our own. Right. Um, you know, and, and so we had to make choices to try to be authentic and have integrity before the government because, and you know, some of our listeners will feel one way or the other on this, but we decided not to spank our children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thankfully our daughter is quite compliant and a good kid and probably, probably hasn't earned a spanking even if we did do that. Right, she hasn't right, earned one yet. Right, anyway, right. she's been, she's a very good kid. But we knew that that the local children's aid society would say, you know, you not can't, acceptable. You yeah. can't use corporal discipline, corporal mm-hmm. punishment. And so, um, because of that, and we said, well, we we're not going to treat our children differently, exactly. right? We're not going to spank one child and not the other mm-hmm. if the government says or not. Mm. Um, you know, and just recognizing the uniqueness of each child. Um, you know, our son, we've had to find other ways to teach him discipline. Right? Mm-hmm. He gets timeouts. He does not like them. He's a very relational child. He loves okay. to be around people, and so separating him from someone i mean sometimes i think he'd probably almost prefer the spank <laughs> so that he could just get back to right, playing or doing right, whatever right. but having to say no you need to take a five minute time out you need to sit up you know apart mm-hmm. from us we love you and you know we check in with him at the end to say here's here's what happened here's why it didn't work what do we re- what's the response mm-hmm. who do you need to apologize to we walk through all this with right. him almost every time right I mean, he's getting pretty good at knowing the right answers. He just doesn't always follow through. <laughs> right. But we had to make all those decisions in light of knowing that the state might be have something to say about how we parent. And had a measure of control as a result of that. Right. And, yeah. and you know, could have said to us, you are not allowed to adopt. Mm-hmm. As Christians, you're not allowed to adopt. And, and that's, I know that's a reality for people. Like I have friends who were not allowed to adopt because of their Christian view. Right. Um, it's unfortunate because... Uh, despite the state saying, well, here's the rules, there's so much interplay. Mm-hmm. You know, each individual adoption worker has an individual influence on mm-hmm. it, whether the decision gets made or not. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's even in our own family, it's been something I'm super aware of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then teaching our children to think separately from the government, right? They might say this, here's what the Bible says, and here's why you know the Bible is true. 
we can respect authority. God calls us to show mm-hmm. respect to those in leadership. Yeah, it's complicated. And challenging. Yeah. Because ultimately what we're having to try and figure out is how do we bring our children up in the way of the Lord? Mm-hmm. How do we imprint, establish a Christian biblical worldview? And when the state has an agenda which is contrary to that, it takes wisdom. It takes uh, perseverance. Yeah. It takes insight and understanding. In fact, I must, I must mention this. Uh, at my oldest son's church, uh, one of the families that attends there, they have their children attending a public school. But they are... So it's been impressed on them by the Spirit of God, I guess they would say, that in order for that to be successful for them as a family, they've got to very much interact into what their children are learning, not just now and again. Every single day, they essentially deconstruct or debrief their children from what they've learned. Mm. They want to hear exactly what was learned in each subject, and then they want to along with their children say that is consistent with a Christian biblical worldview or it's not and here's why and here's what the word of God does. So in a sense, they have in the public school system, the state uh, do its thing, but then they are reviewing that and aligning that with their faith. I've never heard of a family that puts mm. that amount of effort in. Can you imagine that yeah. every day of every teachable uh, and day. that does it does beg the question, and, and I know this isn't just parenting the next generation, it's Christian education too, which Todd Morikawa spoke about a few episodes ago okay. in Christian education, but um, it, is a, it is a hard thing to know how much to give and how much to take yes. back yes. Um, as a parent um, because my child, I may homeschool them or educate them in a Christian school, at some point, unless we're living on a farm where we're never going to see another human <laughs> yes. being... At some point, they have to interact with the secular mm-hmm. culture around them. Mm-hmm. And we can do that in a spirit of fear, mm-hmm. where we approach the culture and say, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Or we can engage with the culture and say, culture is wrong, but we're not afraid of it because we serve the most right. high God. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, that kind of question of when, when and how to teach engagement with culture, mm-hmm. some people are choosing it to do at a younger age educating through the public system. Some are choosing to do it later or not at all through mm-hmm. homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really tough. It is. You talked tonight uh, or a couple of days ago about um, syncretism. Yes. And that was a very fast. I love that you brought that up because it was something I didn't really see coming. When you, when you said it, I kind of put my head up and I thought, <laughs> oh, that's very interesting uh, because we wouldn't necessarily talk about synchronism, syncretism when it comes to Parenting. Parenting and family. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that and kind of where that idea came from? Well, let me first just define the word because some people may not have heard the word. So that's probably <laughs> helpful. Um, essentially, syncretism is an amalgamation of different religious views and values or different cultural view, views or values or different schools of thought. It's, it's a sort of a combination of different forms of belief and practice. So it's it's drawing a bit from here, a bit from there, and just cobbling it all together, and and then that's your that's how you understand and see the world and interact 
with the world. And part of what got me thinking about this in connection with family was uh, towards the beginning of last year, 2022, um, George Barner, who is no longer part of the Barner Research Group, he handed that off to David Kinnaman, he now works as a researcher in Arizona Christian University, and they have a whole research department. And they have, they do, I think it may be every year or every other year, they do something called the um, American Worldview Inventory. Mm. And so they want to look at where Christians are at with their understanding of culture and how that impacts their life. And uh, what originally caught my attention, and I know this isn't about family, but it leads to what I'm about to say, they discovered in the States that among senior pastors, for instance, only 41% of them hold a biblical worldview. And, uh, and amongst associate pastors, 28%. And amongst children's pastors and youth ministry pastors, only 12% of them hold a biblical mm. worldview. So that's our leaders, our teachers in the church. So I looked at all of that I thought, that is, well, it was shocking. Yeah. I, I, I was 12% is a super low number. I, I was horrified, yeah. you know? Um, and I said, is it really, like, what does that mean for parents? So I searched around and I discovered that Parent Q and Orange have both done research in this, and their indication was that, and I can't I can't remember exactly what the figures were, but it was even higher than that. That parents, our Christian parents, uh, are not holding a biblical worldview; they are holding a syncretistic uh, view. And then interestingly, the very uh, research piece that NBC helped pioneer, which ended up being called the Parenting Faith Report that the EFC published a few months ago, I'm reading pieces on there and I'm going, wow, this indicates that what we're hearing is very clear. So, mm -hmm. for example, there was quite a lot done in that research piece where parents were saying, I want to give my children choice regarding their beliefs and i'm going really um you know everybody indoctrinates the secularists are indoctrinating and we christians are indoctrinating uh, the truth of the matter is we've just got to live with that we, we we are either teaching our children the way of christ or we're not and if we're not everything else is coming in so i am deeply concerned about this i i to, to be a little bit emotive with this. I'm feeling that we have a generation of parenting, and again, it's a generalization that is of Christian parenting that is somewhat wishy-washy, mm. that we are not standing firmly on the orthodox essentials of Christian faith, that we are being permissive in the sense of the faith formation of our children. And we're going to reap a, a poor harvest as a result of this. What would you say to a parent who's nervous about being syncretistic? Someone who's saying, oh, you know what? Some of what you're talking about, Dr. Lawson, applies. Like, I think I see that in my own life. Mm -hmm. um, what would you suggest uh, to someone who's saying, okay, I hear you. How do I guard against syncretism? I wish I, I wish. I could just say to everybody, which I'm going to say, oh, I can, because we are doing a podcast, yeah. right? 
That is the best question ever yeah. because my, my primary work is with Bible engagement because the answer to that is <laughs> we need to be a people of the word. Mm. We are syncretistic because we are not a people of the word. We are giving lip service to the word. We are not, we are not engaging with the word in meaningful ways and, 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 and reading it and listening to it and interacting with it in a way in which it is being given the liberty to transform our lives and, and, uh, redirect our thinking in the way of the Lord. Um, and our, our practice of, of Bible engagement is at an all-time low. And that's why we are embracing these other things, because we don't even have the discernment anymore to know what is right and wrong, mm. because we are not in the Word. So my answer fundamentally which read your Bible. Is read your Bible. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> but it... Some of these complicated things are not that complicated at the end of the day. And yes, even as I say that, I'm immediately thinking back to when I was a parent and you are pressed for time. You've had sleepless nights because the child has been up being sick through the night and yeah. all the challenges of parenting and everything. But we yet have to say in the midst of, of, of the parenting stuff, I will be a man of God, I will be a woman of God, and I recognize that if that is a primary calling on my life from God, it means I have to be a man or woman of the Word. And, and I've got to figure out how to make that work despite the challenges. Yeah, I think if it was me, I'd add to the list too. Just because I know there are a lot of people who say, I hear you, I'm reading my, I'm trying to read my yes, Bible, right. but I'm in the middle of Habakkuk. What does that, how does that apply to my parenting life, right? Um, so I, I do think, you know, the other thing I'm just thinking of is like find a church that reads the Bible too. Right? Absolutely. Like even if you're nervous about reading the Bible on your own, find a church that does that because there's, there's a, unfortunately a lot of churches out there that aren't yes. reading their Bibles. Mm -hmm. And so you get stuck with syncretistic views from the pulpit. You just said it yourself, like 41% of pastors. Of pastors. Um, and that's terrifying in so many ways. And that's, if that's an American statistic, I hesitate yes. to think about the Canadian statistic because I'm not mm -hmm. sure that it's going to be much better. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just finding a Bible-believing church and one that pursues scriptural truth. And I would add to that, we, if you look at the predominance of biblical teaching, we are meant to primarily come to the Word of God and and everything else in our faith communally. Mm. And yet a lot of what we tend to do has been more aligned individualistically yeah. because we live in an individualistic culture. Yeah, Western culture is so, right. so individual. And, and part of what I would say to moms and dads is try and figure out ways you can get together with other Christian moms and dads. Even with the kids causing havoc all around and everything, uh, at least <laughs> you're all on the same page on that one and encourage each other in the word and 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 help uh, each other uh, connect with the word and share with each other those things from the word of God that are impacting you and helping you and maybe even a gem that you found in Habakkuk. <laughs> Amen. Well, Dr. Lawson, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know it is precious. You've got a million things to do and you've just served us here at NBC for an entire week. Uh, thank you for your time and your generosity, for your wisdom. Uh, know that we are praying for you in your ministry thank at you. Scripture Union. And uh, just excited to see what God does with you next.
It's been a blessing being with you guys, Luke, and thank you for all you do to champion at NBC the family and the Word of God. That's it for this season. Thank you to Lawson for the wisdom and the energy that you brought to this session and to all of our teachers this summer for being so available to help lead us in wisdom. We have had an incredible year recording and preparing these podcast episodes, and our prayer is that these are being used by you, your friends and family to build up the church and to prepare us to engage with the culture around us. As always, if you've enjoyed listening to today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend, subscribing on your favorite podcast app, or following along on NBC's social media pages. If you really want to show us some love, leave us a rating and a review. It's the best way to get new listeners tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Transforming Culture is a production of Muskoka Bible Center. It's hosted and produced by Luke LaRock. Editing, sound design, and mixing by Abhishek Varghese audio recording by the summer 2023 AV team, and the theme song is Citizens by John Guerra. Graphic design by Christina Tebacle-Holtz. This is the last episode of the season, but stay tuned for some potential bonus episodes and other podcasts from NBC. See you next fall for another season of Transforming Culture. Children home, where we are.